welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today we have a surprise for you guys. We are actually posting a bonus episode that is from our friends podcast. So Carolyn Cohen is a friend of ours that we've known for a couple of years now in the podcast world. And she has a very popular podcast called Wellness While Walking. And it's literally 30 minutes. You can listen while you're walking. She will 15 minutes in, she does a little bell and says, okay, you can turn around and start walking back if you'd like. It's literally supposed to be entertaining while you walk. And she has guests on, but this particular episode we thought would be good because it talks about health and wellness. And so this episode of Wellness While Walking is called To Be Healthy, We Must Walk Against Traffic. And Carolyn is going to talk to you about how the media and society is really playing against our best health and wellness interests, whether it be for us as we get older, for our children, the fact that we really have to go against what we say on commercials and learn, like we talked about this week on the podcast, protein and fiber and and what about added sugars and we shouldn't drink the added sugars. And so we thought this would be a great compliment. And to let you know a little bit about Carolyn, she is a health coach and the podcast, she tries to share the message that even small steps can have a tremendous impact on our health and well-being. And they can also be fun. And she has a great sense of humor on it. She fosters a positive psychology mindset so that you you kind of design health and wellness without regrets. And again, she'll play the beep halfway through, which I really like. So if you're going to go for a walk on a Saturday or today happens to be Friday, maybe you're going to do a little walk after work. Try listening to this episode of Carolyn's podcast, Wellness While Walking. She knows a lot, right, Bridget, about health and wellness. Oh, yeah. No, it, it is really great. And it's great to hear that to be doing something. I always... I don't know if it's my racing mind or whatever's going on with me, but I like to have something going while I'm moving. So it is a great thing to have to listen to, and especially the beep in the middle, just, okay, if I turn around, I can get right back to where I was, you know, if I follow this path again. Some people like to walk in a loop, but sometimes, you know, your halfway point. And it's great to be the 30 minutes because 30 minutes can be really doable. But if you get off track, you know, or you start going somewhere, it's hard to remember. So it's really great to have that 30 minutes in there and you know that it's at that time. Again, we are going to be sharing her episode from last week on today. We hope you enjoy it. Let us know, Hot Flashes cooltopics at gmail.com, what you thought of the episode, because we like sharing our friends with you because, you know, we're one big, strong community here. And and that's how we learn about each other by just sharing it. So with that, Mm -hmm. we are going to let Carolyn do the talking. Why don't you get your walking shoes on and we'll talk to you in 30 minutes. Hi, welcome to episode 121. Thanks for being here with me today. Before we continue, a reminder that I'm not a doctor or a mental health professional, and the content presented here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please make sure you check with your doctor before making any health or lifestyle changes. Go with the flow, we're told at times. And sure, at times, that's great. Unfortunately, in today's world, at least here in the American society I find myself in, going with the flow can lead to mass catastrophe. 
if we go with the flow on the behaviors that add up to health, we're likely to be heading towards a cliff of sorts, a cliff of poor health and suffering and just generalized poor well-being. To be healthy in my body and spirit in today's world, we need to step out of the tsunami of forces and maybe even turn around and swim upstream. Or as I like to think of it, walk against traffic. Today will be a quick moving episode in that we'll be covering a lot of ground, so to speak. We'll come back to many of these topics to go more in-depth in future episodes, and in some cases we've actually done that already, and I'll link to those previous episodes and also resources for further exploration if you're interested. As always, we'll end with potential next steps if they're right for us individually. At times, Some of this can be daunting, but the overall message should be empowering because there's actually so much we can do. It won't be hard, huge pivots necessarily, but the actions will likely have to be fueled by intention for a bit until we've got the systems in place to make it not just easier, but also self-fueling, which leads to a sort of momentum, you know, a momentum going in a beneficial direction instead of along with society's pull towards something pretty unhealthy. So stick with me and listen with an ear towards hearing the positives because there are many, even as the situation with the deck being stacked against us, which it is, being a cause for concern and attention. What I'd really rather not start with, but I kind of have to, is to set the stage in terms of how freaking unhealthy we are. As I've said before, it's not our fault. What have been effective brain and body adaptations that helped us for eons, literally, and led to our evolution and survival as a species, unfortunately, they're not setting us up very well for our current living conditions and environment. And that's not always just a benign situation. It's not like, oops, there's this accidental mismatch which happened. Some things have evolved without malice for sure and have left us worse off, but many things have been intentionally engineered to take advantage of the shortcomings of our brains in the face of current culture. And so we need awareness and vigilance to keep us safe, especially from the ones that, again, have been intentionally seeking to hit us when we're down those industries and organizations that seek to profit from this mismatch between how we were meant to function out in the world and how our society is actually set up. We need to do stuff that might look weird to others. In essence, we need to swim upstream or walk against traffic, as I've said, literally and figuratively. In fact, I think I'm going to get some t-shirts and maybe some reflective vests printed up to say, I walk against traffic. Let me know if you're interested. So if you're looking out for yourself at all, maybe holding out when friends are pressuring you to have another drink or dessert, or maybe flying in the face of YOLO, you only live once, and you've said no to that compelling rallying cry. If you're doing something that others might think, she's weird, or he's a worrywart, or they should just loosen up and live a little, you, my friend, are already taking steps against traffic. Right here and now, please pat yourself on the back or jump up and down and please celebrate that because it might seem like a small step, but it's huge because it's going against the norm, which is hard. So instead of going over that cliff, and yes, that's it's actually that dramatic, you've put on the brakes and said, whoa, not me, not today. 
And that requires observation and attention and reflection and commitment and self-knowledge. So you're already walking against traffic. So let's keep it up together. And if you've been going with the flow mostly, that's completely understandable. That's what our societal systems have been designed to have us do. I know I sound almost paranoid here, but believe me, the deck is stacked against us. Consider this day one of fighting back if we're on the beginning of our journey. And I know waging a war doesn't really sound like a lot of fun. I get it, but you'll have to trust me. It can be really empowering to rebel and take back our power to be healthy from those who are profiting by taking it away. Okay, we're together walking against traffic then. Let's just take a peek so we're better able to identify when we have to push back on those forces trying to get us over the cliff. Let's peek into some of the areas where we might need to fight back. And probably the biggest area is food. So let's start there. Food is the information our bodies need to function properly. You may have heard me mention that I rebelled against my mom's fighting to keep my family healthy. And for a couple of decades, I didn't believe that what I ate had an impact on my health. I believed that and acted accordingly until my lack of health made me start to question my beliefs about diet not mattering at all. And it kind of hit me upside the head. I remember hearing from my mom about empty calories, but it took a little more digging and research to realize it wasn't just that the processed food out there was devoid of nutrients and thus empty calories or caloric energy that brought with it no nutrients. Nope, that was actually too kind an interpretation for what's going on here. It's really detrimental substances we're talking about and taking in when our diets are primarily made up of processed foods. I could talk you through an entire walking marathon with this topic, but let's just take a few examples so we can get to the other categories as well. One is how processed foods are engineered to hit a bliss point that your brain finds addicting and which no naturally occurring foods actually hit. This is the absolute hijacking of our brains by corporations, and it's nothing less. I've been on the inside of this game and this is a deadly game, and I know it to be the absolute truth. Some of the best and brightest minds in the world are figuring out how to make us a quote-unquote heavy user of their products. They start with our kids, and they imagine keeping them and us as lifetime customers until our dying days, which, by the way, will be a lot sooner than if we hadn't dabbled in their products. We're up against it hard. This is one of those less benign assaults we face. Add into the unnaturally hyperpalatable, compelling flavor profiles, the nasty ingredients like toxic pesticides and preservatives that wreak havoc on our physical and mental health, and toxic dyes and more. Add in the fact that the government, which is another bucket we'll talk about, the U.S. government anyway, makes these most detrimental, harmful, quote-unquote, foods cheaper than things that would not be toxic and deadly inputs things that would nourish us for our health and well-being and allow us to be healthy and well-functioning and then live our lives to their highest potential. And let's add in the marketing and promotion of these so-called foods. So back to our kids for a moment. When it's shown how destructive marketing these frankenfoods to our kids is, and that's proven, the industry fights in front of our government to be allowed to police itself. And lawmakers who are beholden because they get funding from these companies and super PACs, which we won't go into today, but about which I'll link to in the show notes, well, our lawmakers can't 
see getting reelected if they defy the conglomerates in their districts or those who contribute to their reelection funds. So big food and big chemical and big pharma and all the rest get off scot-free. They're able to decide their own rules. And if you think they're doing anything to protect our children, forget us from the deadly lifestyle their products contribute to. Unfortunately, you're wrong. Sure, they'll go out and give a very visibly promoted giant cardboard check in front of cameras to a children's-based charity, but that's only because they know they've got billions more coming in from those poor children they claim to be supporting who they're really poisoning. I know this might sound overly dramatic, but it's not. We'll go into more depth on this, but I want to give one more example. I think First Lady Michelle Obama had her heart in the right place when she decided to focus on children's health. I know she did. And she used her power to gather a lot of health experts and dozens of corporations to get them to help address the dire situation of our children's failing health. And again, I'm focused here on our kids because if corporations and government and other giant influences in our lives aren't helping our kids be healthier, do you think they give a hoot about us? Believe me, hoot wasn't the first word that came to mind. But The answer is no, they don't give a flying hoot about kids or adults. All right, deep breath. Okay, back to Michelle Obama. So she set out to get cooperation from corporations that they would change their products and marketing to benefit kids' health, specifically reduce childhood obesity. And while she did make some headway with corporations on some action items, and generally she built awareness of children's declining health, the focus of the solution became one largely placed on the individuals, the kids and their families. And even though obesity is mostly a product of diet and some, to some extent also environmental toxins, exercise was how the program was targeted with the effort becoming named eventually Let's Move. This was probably the most politically astute way of positioning the program because corporations certainly would have avoided being in the spotlight if it were focused directly on their food and their products, but the program was essentially saying that moving more could undo all of what's being served in school lunches on a huge kickback contractual kind of arrangement and what's being promoted with billions of dollars of advertising and other marketing tactics to the kids of this country. And that's just not true. The environment is so unhealthy that moving more really might not move the needle on childhood obesity. Now, wait a sec here, because this is important. It's not to say that movement isn't so important to kids and adults alike. Of course, that's not the message of wellness while walking. And in fact, adding movement in is often much more effective for getting healthier than going on a diet. So yes, moving more is so important, but putting the onus on the individual publicly doesn't acknowledge the incredible systems fighting and pushing us in the other direction. My chest gets tight when I hear it's all about personal responsibility. Nope, it's not. Now, it is true. We're the only ones who can change a lot of this for ourselves because we can't expect all the structural impacts of society and and the way we live and the way corporations are allowed to behave and the way our laws are set up, we can't expect those to change quickly enough for us to become healthier. So 
it is true that we have to take a lot of the action upon ourselves, but it's not true that it's our fault. And that's what upsets me about the let's move effort. It unfairly places the burden on individuals, asking them to significantly change their behavior instead of also working to change the powerful influences of the environment. So even though Michelle Obama and the Obama administration made some progress with certain changes that were corporate or government-based, the dominant communication to us was that those things weren't that influential. Even the effort to get kids to drink fewer sugar-sweetened beverages, a big contributor to us all being less healthy, that was marketed as drinking more water instead of someone just saying the dang truth, which is that these beverages are detrimental to our health and we should be drinking a lot less of them. So yeah, you kitties move a little more, but we're still going to subsidize your Cheetos and your Happy Meals, making them cheaper than healthy alternatives. And we're going to serve you teaspoon after teaspoon of sugar in your government-subsidized school lunch, and we'll count ketchup and the sauce on the pizza, both of which have added sugar also. We'll count those as your vegetables, and we're going to allow all kinds of food marketing and advertising to you, even in your elementary school and on your school bus. And we'll let the manufacturers who pay the supermarkets the most money put the unhealthiest options right at your kitty eye level at the grocery store to increase the nag level of the items. And oh yeah, that is a thing. Let's pay for low shelf placement so the kids tagging along on the grocery store trips nag their parents to let them have the crap food that this, you know, maybe they've seen sponsor their favorite television show until the poor beleaguered parent can't say no anymore. And that's even if you live in a place where you can readily access a grocery store, a full grocery store, instead of a bodega or convenience store, which is too often the case here in the U.S. These are structural issues that we can't underestimate. We're being shuttled to the edge of the cliff, and unfortunately, society isn't going to do the 180 anytime soon. So knowing this and realizing we need to pull a dramatic U-turn and fight our way upstream, this is so important to know. There are so many other factors at work in this realm of food that are accompanying us to the edge of the cliff, but I'll save them for a different time because I want to get to the other buckets. We'll leave it as this. If we eat what our government subsidizes or even largely recommends, we'll be in trouble. If we eat what we see on TV or what's most convenient or sometimes even free, we'll largely be in trouble. So going with the flow here with what we eat, going with the flow is often not great. A related area is indeed movement or exercise. Our society is being set up to be sedentary. So often, if we live in suburbs or cities where it's not safe to walk, we don't get that perpetual movement in that would ideally naturally be part of our lifestyles. If we work in many offices, we're expected to sit at a desk. And even if we solve the problem by being able to work at a standing desk, it's better, but it still has a host of problems in that really we need to move, not just be stationary in a different plane. If we even stand during a meeting instead of sit like everyone else, we might be looked at oddly and have to explain ourselves. In my case, I shared that I often would blame a bad back for standing when everyone else was sitting. Walking meetings aren't an accepted thing. Treadmill desks aren't commonly provided in offices. How sweet that would be, though. 
Even if our neighborhoods are safe to walk and we can get some movement in at work, we're often unable to fit in enough movement to our bustling days when we're expected to be perfect parents or when our jobs require our being on call 24-7, and more on that in a little bit. For a bunch of us, places that would have us be more active, like gyms and other fitness facilities, aren't welcoming to the beginner or aren't safe for the beginner or maybe for any of us, depending on the quality of the instruction or training. And maybe we don't have access to such facilities based on location and affordability. Our society has, quote unquote, saved us from a lot of our movement opportunities, and we have to fight to reclaim them. As you can tell, there are significant overlaps in these categories. Our discussion of food also included some talk of movement with the Let's Move campaign. And the movement conversation we just had is interrelated with another category where we're being herded to an unhealthy state, and that's the conglomeration of work and our busyness. Society and societal norms shape what we do, and it's another situation, if we're not careful, we might find ourselves at the end of some canyon looking down at a scary future. So what's this one about? It's so common in the workplace in this hustle culture that we're expected to be on call 24-7, as we talked about. But I heard of this more recently happening in other organizations, which hasn't been the culture for decades, but is pretty new instead. I've heard of employees of nonprofits having to be reachable at all times and working well beyond their paid hours. And teachers in school, the same thing, reachable at a moment's notice, even when not on official duty. We are tethered to our work with some obscene number of us not even taking the vacation days that were allotted. Workplaces can be wonderful and growth fostering. I also hear a lot about toxic work situations we can be under. That beep indicates we're about halfway through the episode, so if you're not walking a loop, you might want to turn around and head back now. We can be under undue stress and sitting all day and not have access to healthy food or air or the outdoors for breaks, if breaks are even a thing where we work. If we're going into a workplace, often there's a commute and there might be a lot of stress incurred before we even get to the job. If we're fully remote, we don't have the benefit of water cooler kind of socializing and we might end up with serious screen fatigue. There's a lot more awareness since the early days of the pandemic to make workplaces healthier, but sometimes these can be implemented in a misguided way. I remember hearing at a top-notch health conference how one company was significantly rewarding people for getting healthier, which sounds good, right? There was a big fat bonus check for hitting a particular mark. The only problem was it was a measure on a blood test that wasn't even correlated with, let alone found to cause, the health improvement the company sought to improve. So... In fact, in retrospect, going after this particular blood marker change might have made employees less healthy. So while workplaces might seek to improve things, the solutions might be clunky or one-size-fits-all. Hopefully more will be getting this right with time, and I sure hope that we as a society will come to understand and foster the concepts of rest and renewal. In the meantime, we might need to carve those out for ourselves. It's not only work that's in this category, though, it includes a lot of other socially acceptable dynamics. In addition to the business of our lives, what about our busyness? We sometimes wear that as a badge. We fit more and more into our schedules at the expense of our well-being. So it's not just hustle culture, it's toxic productivity. 
you know I love the idea of productivity in a positive sense. I think working and investing to make our systems work for us so we can reclaim some time to do the most important things is fabulous, but I don't advocate productivity just to fit in doing more stuff. One expert said, toxic productivity can make us feel like a failure if we're not constantly doing. When toxic productivity is leading your life, you judge yourself every day for what you haven't done rather than looking at what you have accomplished. So yeah, we're contributing, we're making headway, we're getting stuff done, having every moment accounted for so we can get the most out of each and every darn moment we have. (laughs) So we're frantic and we're frenzied and we're trying desperately to add in one more thing. And nope, that is not the way we were meant to function and it comes at a cost and probably many costs. So what is lost when we have doing, 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 you know, being in action all the time as our goal? Well, let's start with a potential hit to relationships with family, coworkers, you know, maybe even the guy in front of us online at the grocery store who can't find his credit card. What else is lost? Well, I believe effective functioning in the world. You know, burnout is epidemic where we need to quit a job that had been rewarding and fulfilling or remove ourselves from things in life that we loved because we can't do it all anymore and we're finally at the tipping point. Before we get to burnout, we might experience severe fatigue or even depression or anxiety. And forget about being creative and often forget about being kind to our fellow humans. And what about the things that really matter, as we talked about with Joshua Becker? Are we getting to those when our days and weeks and years are scheduled to the hilt, trying to get all the little things done? All of these outcomes of our jam-packed human doing instead of human being culture result in reduced levels of well-being. But one thing we haven't mentioned is self-care. What's likely to go out the window when we're trying to pry open the space for fitting one more thing into our days? And that's going to be the time and effort and energy and priority of taking care of ourselves. So to fight the good fight, to walk against traffic, we do need to take a look at our busyness If we're on overdrive all the time, it's going to be less likely that we're nurturing ourselves physically, and we already have seen how emotionally and spiritually we're in a suboptimal situation. I'll have some next steps we can take to try to balance out all this busyness, and it's also something I'll come back to because it's so tied up with our health. Look for some resources in the meantime in the show notes. Before we're done, I want to touch on a few more situations which we might find ourselves in and which, if unchecked, might result in our being unhealthy, such that we can't live the life that matters and the one that we dreamed of, and that we'll live and then look back on with the fewest regrets. We'll go through some of these in a little bit less detail, so I have time to talk about antidotes and small steps we might consider taking. One other situation is our attention. It's up for sale, and that's not a good thing for our health for many reasons. A key one is that we can be easily influenced by any number of forces, perhaps not those we would have chosen if we had been fully aware of how our attention is screen-sucked from us. We need to be hyper-vigilant to make sure this doesn't happen. We can waste time and energy from unintended scrolling and viewing. We can definitely feel worse than when we started, and that absolutely can be an outcome of social media and news for many of us, if not for most of us. And it can let certain voices have a bigger say in our thoughts and beliefs than we might realize or want. 
I'll share one story of such a situation. I follow someone who's a media personality on social media and beyond, and I've enjoyed her perspectives on many things over the years, but she talks about dieting a lot, and that's not great for many of us who have histories with restricting food. There's a fair amount of material on her social that many people would find objectionable and potentially dangerous because she does these, like, what I eat in a day videos, which are a thing on social media, and I watched one today. In it, instead of documenting every morsel she ate, which seems to be the MO for these kinds of videos across the internet, instead today she said she was sick with COVID and so was going to eat whatever the F she wanted. And sorry, there's a lot of alluding to swearing in this episode, which I guess is fitting because the subject matter sort of fires me up and maybe other people are fired up too. Anyway, knowing her and what she tends to eat, we can assume she's saying no to the typical foods that she eats to try to stay healthy. So good for her for doing what she needs to do to find comfort as she is sick. But it also says to us that food doesn't matter to our health and healing. And this would be the wrong time to load up on junk food. And that's a big bummer, if you ask me. The act of feeding a sick person with grandma's chicken soup was partially about comfort food, like we talked about recently in another episode, and the acts of caring and nurturing. But it was actually also about nutrients, like those that would, for example, nourish the gut lining and keep the beneficial bacteria in the gut functioning well, because that's where we house a lot of our immune system, which is going to fight COVID. So we might not give this influencer's post on social media a passing conscious thought, but somewhere in there, we might be absorbing a message that influences us in an unhealthy direction in the future. We don't have to be quote unquote perfect eaters, whatever that could possibly be, because of course there's no such thing, but we might build some awareness about the sources that are attracting our attention. So we don't absorb the, you only live once attitude towards health that might be cool to espouse and throw out there, but which really taken on a daily basis could be detrimental to our health. And the same thing might hold true when we follow social media accounts that say celebrate mommy wine culture. Over time, seeing input from an online community like this might lead to normalizing problematic behavior. In this case, the behavior and thoughts that relying on alcohol to get us through the day is okay and healthy. Even though everyone wants a good laugh and to feel part of a community, and there's also very endearing vulnerability about not being a perfect mom baked into these memes and tweets that's got an element of benefit to them. It's still normalizing something that doesn't work for solving a problem of well-being and can help justify for the individual ineffective and potentially dangerous coping mechanisms. So we need to pay attention to where we're placing our attention. Just like we need to monitor where our attention is being pulled on the internet, so too do we need to be cognizant of who we surround ourselves with in real life. Community is the next area where we need to be vigilant, or we can get swept up into a path of an unhealthy life. We've talked about this before. We're the product of the small group of people with whom we spend the most time. This doesn't necessarily mean that we need to only be with folks who share our goals, whether they be health goals or other goals or values. But it does mean that having some community that can support us on our journey can be really, really helpful. Being surrounded by like-minded people can be, depending on the situation, almost like a huge weight has been lifted off of us because we understand each other. 
Though it's necessary to swim upstream or walk against traffic, as the case may be, at times it's also awesome not to have to do it, or at least do it alongside companions. Even if those around us aren't pursuing the same goals, if they're supportive of ours, that's often quite a boost. So choosing and managing communities carefully is key, but also feeling connected at all is key. We're extremely disconnected from each other, as we've spoken about before, and I'll link to those episodes where we've discussed this. Being disconnected is a burden to our health, and again, it's something we might need to intentionally rebel against to be healthy. The last few, okay, these I'm just going to name briefly because I really do still want to get to what we can do to reclaim our destiny. So sleep has been a casualty of modern living, maybe more than any of the other topics we spoke about today. We need to guard the quantity and also the quality of our sleep like it's precious currency that allows us to live our lives to the best potential because that's actually what it is. It's the fuel that gets us to be our best selves. Too many affronts to our sleep are baked into our culture, and we need to systematically and intentionally dismantle those for ourselves. Toxins are another trap that have held our health hostage. This one absolutely falls into the more malicious of the threats to our health that we need to wage war against, because mostly because we're really not protected but from harmful, poisonous, toxic chemicals that can cause disease directly and indirectly. We 100% will come back to this because it's vital. I couldn't really have a, a podcast about health and wellness without multiple discussions about toxins and what to do about them. I'll link to a prior episode where we introduced the subject. And then finally for today, a topic that is absolutely too big to tackle at this late hour, but our medical so-called health care system. Those who have come before me call it a sick care system because it's really only involved when we're sick. But sick care system actually, to me, implies a level of fixing and healing I don't think even warrants the name. COVID made us sick. And how did our sick care system work? I don't think I have to answer. So we get little time with practitioners, certainly not enough to delve into actual causes of any illness or symptoms too, too often we're prescribed a pill to fix something or at least put a Band-Aid over it until the pills cause another problem and we're back for another brief visit and another prescription or two. There's almost no time to talk about lifestyle changes, even when there's an acknowledgement that they could help. And there's no structure available to help those efforts, even if they're discussed. At least here in the U.S., while some advances in modern medicine have certainly worked in that they keep us alive longer if we have a heart attack or another acute event, we've absolutely lost ground on the fight against illness due to chronic conditions, which is what is actually killing most of us. Our sick care system isn't designed to encourage and build health, and that falls to us. Here in this grouping, I also need to include the power of influential conglomerates with conflicts of interest that have a say in what we learn about food, drugs, alternative options, and so on through scientific research and communication, thanks to our government. This is staggering in the effect on our health, and I'll be speaking about it more in the future. Here, one of the steps is to advocate against these injustices, and I look forward to sharing how we can come together to say no to unhealthy behaviors and choices for ourselves and our families, but also to fight to walk against traffic, maybe even uphill against traffic, 
to try to make things better for all of us. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for sharing your episode with us. It's so nice to hear your voice again. And we met Carolyn a few years ago at our very first podcasting conference. And we've done some live streams with her in the past. And it's just always nice to hear her and voice. And her podcast is doing really well, which we we love supporting other women in our demographic who are making positive changes for the women 40 plus, because it is through our conversations and through her guests and our guests that we are making a change in the narrative. So Carolyn, come on anytime. You're always a welcome guest. Thanks for sharing this episode with us. And again, guys, you could check us out, you know, on all the fun platforms, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all those fun places. You can check it out and make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, because you don't want to miss another episode. We will talk to you on Wednesday. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 